Roger, thank you for that prayer this morning. We really appreciate it. Um, As Pastor Dan mentioned um, when he did the announcements at the beginning, I do want to say something about next week. Next week begins our four-week-long missions conference. We begin, as we do each year, with our flag ceremony. And so that is an important time. We do this every year. A lot of work is put into this. And then after the flag ceremony is our international ethnic potluck in the gymnasium. And we would really encourage you that if you plan to come to sign up, you can sign up at the information center. Um, You can also sign up online. If you read in your bulletin, there are various ways online that you can sign up for that. So we encourage you uh, to do that. Now... I know some of you know this, but maybe not everyone. Some of you may be wondering, why are we starting the missions conference in February this year? We're starting in the last Sunday of February rather than how we traditionally do it in the first Sunday of March. And the reason for it is because Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday both fall very early this year. Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday are the fourth and fifth Sundays of March, and we want to be able to celebrate both of those important Sundays as a church family. And so we move the missions conference up by a week so that it is the last weekend in February and the first three weekends in March, just so everyone's clear on that. And as Pastor Dan mentioned for next week, just for next week, because of the flag ceremony, there is no Sunday school. This morning, we are going to continue in our early study of the book of Hebrews. So we're looking at the book of Hebrews this morning, and we're looking at chapter 2 and verses 1 through 4. The book of Hebrews, chapter 2 and verses 1 through 4. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore, we must pay closer, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Well, our first point this morning is don't drift away. The writer of Hebrews strongly warns his readers not to drift away from the great salvation provided by Christ. And that is what this entire message is about. Don't reject the great gospel of Jesus Christ by drifting away from it. And so, in verse 1, the writer says... Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. 
Now, therefore, is the important transitional word connecting chapter 2 with chapter 1. And if you remember in chapter 1, in those first three verses, we see the greatness of Christ. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3, set the stage. They introduce the entire book of Hebrews, that Jesus is superior to everyone and to everything. Jesus is superior to the angels. Jesus is superior to Moses. Jesus is superior to the Mosaic Covenant. Jesus is superior to the earthly tabernacle. Jesus is superior to the Levitical priesthood. Why? Here's why in verses 1 through 3, Jesus is the final prophet through whom God has spoken. Jesus is the creator who made the universe. Jesus is the heir of all things. Jesus is the exact representation of God's glory. Jesus is the upholder of all things. Jesus is the Savior who provided purification for our sins. Jesus is the great victor who sat down of the right hand of the majesty on high. Therefore, therefore, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, the last, greatest, final prophet. And then we looked in the next message at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 through 14, where the writer says that Jesus is superior to the angels. Now, as I shared with you, the angels are amazing beings, and they play a very important role in the sovereign work and plan of God in the past, in in the here and now, and also in the future. But the whole point of Hebrews 1, 4 through 14, is that Jesus created the angels, Jesus is far superior to the angels, and Jesus is worshipped by the angels. That brings us to our passage this morning. That is the therefore. In the Old Testament, Angels were often used as messengers of God to mediate the words of God to men. So the angels have often been important messengers, even being used by God in the Old Testament to mediate the message of God to men. And so it says, verse 1, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it, and here's why. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? If the message that was mediated by angels was completely trustworthy and reliable and people who disobeyed what they shared were punished 
for their disobedience. If that was true of the message of angels, how much more is it true of Christ, who is superior to the angels? So how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Did you know that angels were present on Mount Sinai when God gave the law, the Ten Commandments, and the entire Mosaic law to Moses, we don't know all the details, but somehow, some way, angels were there and they were present and they assisted God. They did his bidding in giving the law of Moses to Moses. So angels were there on Mount Sinai. In Acts chapter 7, we have the great speech of Stephen to the Jewish religious leaders. And in Acts chapter 7 and verse 38, referring to Moses, Stephen says, This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers, He received living oracles to give to us. An angel was there who spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, giving us, O Jewish religious leader, giving us living oracles. In that same speech, Acts chapter 7, verse 53, Stephen says to these Jewish religious leaders, You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Isn't that interesting? You, you Jewish religious leaders, who received the law as delivered by angels. So the thought here, the important thought is, when the angels gave the law to Moses... And people disobeyed the law, they were punished. If you committed adultery, if you worshipped a false god, if you blasphemed God, you were put to death. And that was the message delivered by angels to Moses. If the law was that important and had those kinds of consequences, how? How shall we escape If we neglect such a great salvation, a salvation that was given to us by Christ and who is Christ. And that leads us to our second point this morning, the declaration of the gospel. The great message of salvation was declared by Jesus himself and confirmed by the apostles whose message was accompanied by signs, wonders, and miracles. And so Jesus gave the message of salvation that he is the message of salvation. His message was accompanied by signs, wonders, and miracles. Then the apostles, among others, but especially the apostles, proclaimed that same great salvation message. And it was accompanied by signs and wonders and miracles. Look At the second part of verse 3 and verse 4, it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, that's the apostles, while God also bore witness 
to this salvation message, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. In John chapter 10, Jesus says to the Jewish people, even though you don't believe me, believe my works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. In Acts chapter 2, as Peter gives his great message at Pentecost, in Acts 2.22, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Jesus came proclaiming the message of salvation, that he himself is our salvation. And it was accompanied by signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. But not only Jesus, that same message, when proclaimed by the apostles was accompanied by signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 19, the Apostle Paul says, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Acts 14. These next couple of verses aren't on the screen, but I just want you to listen to those. Paul and Barnabas are at Iconium, and it says this, So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting to Paul and Barnabas signs and wonders to be done by their hands. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. The signs, listen to this, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that when the gospel was proclaimed by the Lord himself, when the gospel was proclaimed by the apostles, it was so important that it was always accompanied by signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. So before we had a completed canon, a completed Bible, the message of God was always accompanied by signs, wonders, and miracles. And today, know this, and we just focused on this last Sunday when we had a special day emphasizing the importance of the Bible. Now that the Bible is complete, the Bible is the miracle. And when we proclaim the message of salvation, it is the message of God's word, which is living and active and more powerful than a double-edged sword, as we saw in Hebrews 4.12 last week. And the Bible is still attested to by the great power of God. But here's the thought. Here's the thought. If this is all true, 
how shall we escape if we neglect this great message of salvation? We must, verse 1, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. And the thought is, lest we don't believe by drifting away from the message of salvation. I want to try to bring this all together for us this morning. This is a very important section of Scripture. It's a short section, but it is filled with great importance to every single person here, to every single person listening by live stream. Many people hear and understand the gospel message of salvation, but drift away without ever making a decision for Christ. That's the warning. Let me say that again. Many people hear and understand the gospel message of salvation, but drift away without ever making a decision for Christ. Here is the great word picture that is associated with this section of scripture. It is the picture of a great ship with a mast being blown by the wind. And it's on a large lake or it's out in the ocean. And the ship is moving along. And the captain is told there is a safe harbor. You need to turn and to go to the safe harbor. It is there that you will be rescued. It is there that you will be saved. But the captain looks around and he sees no danger, even though they've been warning them, him that there is danger. But he sees none. So he just keeps going, thinking, I don't see any danger. And if there is, I can always come back, can't I? And so what he does is he drifts away. He drifts away. And unbeknownst to him, there is great danger, great danger ahead. I want to give you three scenarios that happen in every good Bible teaching church for which this passage is a, an important warning. First scenario is this. There is the person who grows up in the church, hears the gospel over and over again, then graduates from high school and just drifts away. I can't tell you how many Men and women I have met over the years, especially it seems at funeral services, because it will often be the first time they've come back to a church in years and years. And they'll tell me they grew up in the church. Maybe it was our church, maybe it was another church. They heard the gospel, they understood the gospel. But I don't think they ever, ever made a clear salvation, decision for Christ. And when I talk to them, often they haven't been in church for decades. Don't read their Bible. Don't pray. They just drifted away. Second scenario. 
There is the person who stays on the fringe of the church but never makes a clear salvation decision. In every church like ours, and I'm, again, talking about good, solid Bible-teaching churches, they kind of stay on the fringe. They come to church, especially the morning worship service, but never really get involved. They may come because their elderly mother comes or their elderly father comes or they know someone here or they just think it's a good idea to come to church. They hear the gospel, they understand the gospel, but they've never actually made a decision to repent of their sin and to receive Christ as Savior. They come every week or sometimes they miss, but they try to get here as often as they can and they just over the years drift away third scenario there is the person who is active in the church very faithful to church involved in ministry but this person has had nagging doubts for years about their salvation maybe when they were a little girl they prayed a prayer in Sunday school or maybe when they were a little boy They prayed a prayer at vacation Bible school. But as they look back, they've often wondered, did I really understand what I was doing? Did I really understand that I had sinned and that I was in desperate need of a Savior? And it just kind of nags them. But they don't do anything about it. They're here. They're involved. But they just keep drifting and drifting without ever making sure. As you leave today, I want to have embedded in your minds three words. So as you leave today, I want three words to be in your mind as you leave. Here are the three words. Remember Judas Iscariot. Okay, those are the three words I want you to leave with today. Remember Judas Iscariot. I preached an entire message on Judas back a couple of years ago when I preached through the entire Gospel of John, and we come to that crucial section in John chapter 13 that focuses on Judas. Judas Iscariot stands as a warning to every Christian in every age of church history. For three years, folks, for almost three years, Judas was a professed disciple of Jesus. He witnessed Jesus' miracles. He heard firsthand Jesus' teaching. He was involved in many of the same ministries as the other disciples were involved in. But Judas Iscariot was a false disciple who never embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior. He fooled all the other disciples. He fooled everyone around him, but Jesus, excuse me, but Judas never came to a point in his life where he totally surrendered his life to Christ for salvation. And folks, that's what this passage is about. As you leave, I want you to remember that's what this 
passage of Scripture is about. The late pastor and theologian John Stott used to describe salvation this way. He said salvation is a radical inward transformation in the soul of a human being. And so I ask you, have you ever experienced that radical inward transformation that we call salvation? It's 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. I remember the late Bible professor who taught at Dallas Theological Seminary for years, Charles Ryrie. Many of us grew up using the Ryrie Study Bible. I loved what Charles Ryrie used to say. He used to say, if you have doubts about your salvation, then make sure. He said, God doesn't forbid us of making sure. He said, yes, we are saved one time. But if you aren't sure you were ever saved one time, then make sure. And I encourage you, if you don't know for sure, you need to make sure there is no more important decision in your life. If you're not sure this morning that you're saved, then make sure. He used to suggest that you get alone and you confess that you are a sinner to God and you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You totally surrender to him making him Lord and Savior of your life. That's why we print in the back of the bulletin how you can receive Christ as your Savior. It's there every week. We want you, we want you to make sure. So this is for everybody. This is for all of us. This is for you young men and young women who have grown up in this church. Maybe you've heard the gospel so many times you're just numb to it. You hear it in church You hear it in Sunday school, you hear it in Awana, you hear it at Vacation Bible School, and that's great. But do you know in your heart of hearts that you have made a a deliberate conscious decision to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? This is for you who are here, and maybe you're on the fringe of our church. You come But you've never made a decision for Christ. You've never received him as your savior. You've never prayed and said, Jesus, come into my life and save me. This is for those of you who come and you're faithful and you're active, but you have that nagging doubt about your salvation. Oh, I beg you this morning, make sure. Make sure. It's okay to make sure. It is, if you're not sure, make sure. How how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Therefore, we, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for the great salvation offered in Christ. My prayer this morning is this. Help each and every one of us to make sure that we have genuinely received Christ as our Savior and Lord. Father, if anyone is doubting, if anyone is unsure, if anyone here is drifting away, help them to make sure and to know for certain this morning. Nothing is more important. In Jesus' name, amen.